Hello, my name is Domin, and this is the Audio Epics podcast. Previously, you may have been listening to this podcast, and then you have heard Witch Hunter, the dramatized audiobook, our big epic, uh, followed by The Will of the Woods, our fairy tale in five episodes, um, which is finished now. Currently, we are out of um, stories um, to tell. <laughs> that is to say, there's a bunch more that uh, that is coming up. Um, I'm currently writing something, um, but this is something new. This is different because for the first time, I'm working together with another company. And um, what we're doing is something unique, um, something that, to my knowledge, has never been done before. Um, so um, I... I, I I actually I can't say anything more about it, but I'm excited about it, and I look forward to being able to um, to present you with more information on this interesting new adventure. But that will have to wait for now, I'm afraid. So, um, what the future holds for this podcast is I want to keep it going. Obviously, I I want to, if at all possible, I'd like to have a new episode every week. Um, but um, how we're going to do that for now, I don't quite know yet. <laughs> but what I will try to do um, is, um, well, I have a plan. And first of all, I'm going to read to you a number of articles that I wrote a while ago um, concerning the audio epics approach to telling audio stories. This might be interesting for anyone out there who's uh, looking to create their own audio adventures um, or who's just interested in, in, in how, we, how we approach this, how we do it. Um, uh, sort of the, the philosophy behind our audio stories. So, um, you know, if anyone's interested in that, I'll be reading that. And then um, afterwards, um, I'd love to get some feedback from from you people, listeners <laughs> out there. Um, we've had some great feedback on YouTube. That seems to be sort of the primary channel um, for um, for feedback on our stories. Well, at least witch hunters receive a lot of feedback. We haven't really received any feedback uh, on the Will of the Woods, but that's okay. Um, so if anyone's listening to this on YouTube, we'd be very interested in, uh, in, in in your opinions, what I'd like to do is perhaps read some stories from the public domain, um, read some of the great um, fantasy and gothic horror adventures that were written, you know, back in the 19th century, uh, early 20th century stories that... Um, you know, uh, don't have any copyright involved with them anymore and that I can just read out, perhaps add some music and sound effects and, um, you know, and thus um, keep this podcast uh, a lively place full of great audio adventure. Now, um, of course, we want to uh, provide as much original entertainment as possible. That is one of the things that, um, that we're very keen on doing. And um, yes, I did say that there would be more Witch Hunter and um, there definitely will be more of uh, Ludlove. 
So uh, I'm looking forward to doing that, but um, for the moment it, it's uh, on the back burner, you know. Um, I have this other project that I'm working on right now, and um, writing for, uh, for, the, for Witch Hunter, for that universe, takes a bit of time, um, but I'm still, I'm still working on it, actually. There is a bunch of stuff that I have in mind. Um, there's some, some stuff that I've already written. There's some more lore and background. There are stories ideas, story ideas for new stories. Um, I, have a, I have some of the basic elements of the sequel in my head. Um, there's 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 a lot still out there for Witch Hunter, so one day it will definitely, it should definitely, you know, see the light. For now, um, I will leave you with my rendition of <laughs> my article, my the, the the first in a series of articles that I wrote about the audio epics approach. This is um, you know not necessarily a how-to, but um, just to look at our philosophy, or at least my philosophy, behind the creation of, uh, of our audio stories. If you are interested in, um, in good, solid information on how to create audio drama specifically, then I can uh, enthusiastically refer you to um, the Audio Drama Production Podcast, which is um, a podcast created by two Scottish gentlemen Matthew McLean and Robert Cadmore. You know, you can easily find it. Just type in audio production podcast on Google and you will find it right away. And uh, that is a really, really good resource for anyone who's interested in creating their own audio drama. What I want to do here is something a little bit different. Just to look at our philosophy, our approach to, um, you know, storytelling and specifically storytelling for audio in general. So this is the first part of... The Audio Epics Approach Obviously, the first step is writing, as everybody knows. Um, So I wrote two little articles uh, about how I approach writing for audio. And um, I'll be reading from them, try to sort of combine the two into one and uh, read that out for you. So, obviously, the first step is writing. I've actually been writing audio drama since I was 14 years old. Not that I would want to show you those original scripts. My stories used to be in Dutch, which is my mother tongue. Well, actually, Flemish is my mother tongue, which is a kind of Dutch, but that's complicated. Anyway, um, they used to be in Dutch for the longest time, so they will not appear on this podcast or on the Audio Epic site. Also, they are clearly the work of a teenager who's trying to make his own Star Wars while struggling to find his own voice. Nevertheless, I never wrote as much as during that period, and I look back to all those all-nighters very fondly. And while there are many things that I used to do as a writer that I wouldn't do anymore today, there are still some key concepts that have remained and that I will hold on to. First of all, my stories have always started from an image and a feeling. I often hear how some writers start their stories from a concept or an idea. For example, what if vampires were out in the open just like normal people? Or mixing two old ideas like Pride and Prejudice mixed with zombies. 
I don't think there's anything wrong with this approach, but I'm a very different kind of guy. I always start from the setting, from the atmosphere. Atmosphere is one of the main reasons why I enjoy stories and why I enjoy writing them. It's sort of my thing. When I wrote my first English audio drama, Darkshire, I was really inspired by Tim Burton's movie Sleepy Hollow. I loved those dark, misty woods, the gothic atmosphere, and so on. I wanted to tell my story in a similar atmosphere, but I needed characters and a plot, pesky things. So、um, I started listening to the music for Sleepy Hollow, obviously, as well as a lot of other Victorian Gothic movie soundtracks like Interview with the Vampire, Bram Stoker's Dracula, and so on. Listening to that music started generating images in my mind. I could see a large mansion in the middle of the woods. With a huge roaring hearth in the library, I could see an old man sitting in his chair there, drinking wine. There was a diamond-shaped black mark around one of his eyes. He was utterly alone in this opulent house in the middle of the dark woods. Then I saw a black carriage passing through the forest under the full moon, and wolves running after it. I saw a tiny hovel between the nightly trees, with cosy yellow light shining between the windows. I saw a ballroom in the glory days of the Russian nobility. All of these images came together in a jumble, but they were images that appealed to me on some level that I cannot explain. I picked the elements I liked best, and I came up with a general feel of the story. The tone was set. From there on, it wasn't so hard to develop the characters, because they began to grow naturally out of these images and feelings. It's always good. To have very opposed characters, obviously, because out of that conflict inevitably comes, and conflict means story. I found out C.S. Lewis worked the same way when he wrote the Narnia stories. It's pretty well known that the first story, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, began with the image of a fawn in the snow near a lamppost in the middle of the woods. A peculiar image indeed, but a very striking one for the imagination. It became iconic. Lewis also said that he had been dreaming a lot about lions during that period. The great lion Aslan became the very core of his seven-book series. What struck me most was when I read some notes that Lewis had scribbled down in preparation of writing *The Voyage of the Dawn Treader*, one of the books in the Narnia series that is all about seafaring adventure. What I noticed was that Lewis had written down some plot points, and then added. To be a very green and pearly story. That little phrase struck a chord with me, because I could recognize that way of thinking so well. When I started writing Witch Hunter, I wanted it to be a dark brown and fiery story. I wanted people to smell burning wood when they listened to it. I could see its colors and its textures. Everything else came out of that. It's very intuitive. I'm not all that interested in the rules of storytelling. You figure out what works and what doesn't as you write more, but what you need first of all is a sense of identity to your story. What is the overarching feeling that you want to get from that story? I think that is what people remember afterwards. And then part two on my article on writing. Is called the writing thing.
Ignore the snobs. I have no hard and fast rules to writing, no real do's or don'ts to convey. In fact, whenever I hear some self proclaimed writing expert say what you should always do or never do, I tend to automatically tune them out. I have a very low tolerance for smugness and arrogance, and that's what these usually sound like. That's why I really enjoyed Write About Dragons, a course in writing fantasy by one of the best writers in the genre. Brandon Sanderson. You can find the whole thing on YouTube. In, in fact, I think、um, there's an even newer version out right now.、Uh, so just, you should just look on YouTube,、um, search Brandon Sanderson Fantasy Writing Course, something like that.、Um, he's been doing some newer versions as well. In these courses, Brandon doesn't spout off pretentiously about anything and he doesn't look down on anyone. Instead, he gives sound advice that comes from years of experience and proven success. I followed a course in writing screenplays once. What I remember most from that class is the professor emphasizing how hard it is to write a good screenplay, and how everyone who thinks they can do it actually sucks, and how you better listen to what he had to say if you ever wanted to have the tiniest chance of actually finishing anything halfway decent in your lifetime. Now, guess how many great screenplays that professor had written in his lifetime? That's right, zero. On a tangent, I have not too much respect for what the academic world has to say about anything, and that includes creative endeavors. Nobody will ever do anything if you instill a can't do attitude in them. I also don't like it when people throw around phrases like Bad writing and atrocious dialogue without backing up what they actually mean by that. The very term writing has become loaded with pretentiousness. As a result of that, beginning writers tend to feel very insecure and unworthy. And that's too bad because I think writing fantasy and science fiction stories should be fun to do. I know that fun is an F word to some people because it seems to take away from the artistic value of the work. Well, I don't think it does. If anything, I think it adds value. I've been reading a lot of nobody said being a writer was going to be fun and similar sentiments recently. Now, I think writing should be fun, especially at first. When you're just starting out, you want to feel that kick of creating your own worlds and characters. That's a wonderful experience. Maybe your writings won't be particularly good at first, but that's okay. The important thing is that you're using your imagination, that you're honing your skills and actually doing something, rather than just talking about it. Now, don't get me wrong, I know this excitement fades, and after a while it becomes all about working, and that's fine too, because by that time you will have developed skills as a writer, and you can start being serious about it. But even then, if you can keep the experience pleasant for yourself, I think the writing will only be better for that. For me, the biggest skill I still haven't developed is discipline. But still, despite my lack of discipline and concentration, I did manage to plod on and release The Will of the Woods and Witch Hunter. Before those two, there were a whole bunch of other stories that I wrote, most of which reached an audience of about ten people. But That doesn't matter. What matters is I made them and I loved making them. Even though I said I have no hard and fast rules, I do have one message to convey, and it's so basic I shouldn't have to point it out, really. 
Children know this so well, but adults seem to forget it. Write what you feel like, without any pretension. Don't be worried about being too cliché or having two-dimensional villains or anything like that, or one-dimensional villains or whatever the word is these days. When people analyze big-budget movies to complain about their lack of character development, okay, there is some merit to that, because these movies are made by professionals, you know, who should be able to craft a good story. But there is never a reason to nitpick a young amateur's first attempts at sculpting a story. That being said, every writer has points that need improvement, and every genre has its typical pitfalls. When it comes to epic fantasy, many beginning writers have a hard time conveying the needed information that is part of their unique world-building without dumping massive amounts of history and lore on the audience. That is one of the pitfalls of epic fantasy. Another problem with fantasy is that it can be hard to avoid certain clichés, like the prophecy of the Chosen One and a Dark Lord for an antagonist. To overcome these challenges, the best idea is simply to sit down and write. Make mistakes, fall into traps, use clichés, just write. In time, you'll find your own way of dealing with them, but you simply cannot learn just by listening to people's opinions, including mine. Now a little bit on info dumps and clichés. Nevertheless, I'll explain how I try to deal with these typical fantasy challenges. I used to be really bad with info dumps. Maybe some readers remember the final two episodes of The Witch Hunter Chronicles. That was the audio drama that existed before Witch Hunter, the old version of the story, before I completely rewrote it. So the version that you will have heard on this podcast is a new version. Well, in the old version, that version really suffered from infodump syndrome. Near the climax of the story, the heroes discovered who the main antagonist really was. Same one as in the new version, by the way. Said bad guy then launched into an epic monologue, explaining every minute detail of his plans and his motivation. This is not only a cliché, it's also plainly annoying, because the story stops dead in its tracks, just when it was about to get exciting. In the new version, I changed lots of things, but most notably, I completely rewrote the ending. Intrigue, backstory and revelations are now sprinkled throughout the story in small doses, leaving the listener hungry for more information while moving along the plot. It was only through practice and self-critiquing that I finally managed to get this right. Well, I think I got it about as right as I could. And it was not by reading books about how to deliver a good plot that I managed to do this. It was by, you know, trial and error. When it comes to the problem of fantasy clichés, my solution is to be aware of them, but not worry about them. When authors try too hard to avoid the clichés of their genre, that tends to come across as forced. And very often the anti-cliché quickly turns into an actual cliché, just like the anti-hero has now become a cliché. Most people, including myself, prefer the older clichés, because at least those have a certain charm to them, 
recent clichés annoy everyone except those who haven't picked up on them yet. One way I try to deal with prophecies, chosen ones and dark lords, which are all old clichés in fantasy, is not by subverting them, which I think is becoming a new cliché, but by making them less obvious and putting them less front and center. If you haven't read or listened to Witch Hunter, what I will say now will contain some spoilers. I don't like spoiling anything, especially my own work, but I kind of need to in order to explain what I mean. So um, if you haven't listened to Witch Hunter yet, um, skip ahead maybe a minute or so. I don't think that Witch Hunter comes across as a cliché fantasy story. Nevertheless, if you look under the hood, many of the genre clichés are absolutely there. In fact, the three I have mentioned are absolutely present. There is a prophecy, there's a chosen one, and there is a dark lord. However, these are not the first things you think about when you think about Witch Hunter, I think. That's because I purposely move those elements to the background, even though they are absolutely crucial to the mechanics of the plot. All of those classic fantasy tropes appear towards the end of the story, by which time the audience should be invested in the characters and their fate, and they won't be thinking, oh no, this is going to be another boring story about a prophecy and a chosen one. If I had introduced these elements from the beginning, that might have been the reaction of most seasoned fantasy fans. In addition, I made the characters and the plot structure a bit different from what usually accompanies stories about prophecies, chosen ones, and dark lords. By telling the story from the viewpoint of Ludlove, who is a seasoned older hero whose job is to protect and support the chosen one in the end, I've tried to sort of draw the attention away from the whole chosen one narrative and instead focus on other aspects of the story. You know, Ludlov's um, evolution as a character, for example. All right, that was the mildly spoilery part of this article. Now, I don't mind using those clichés. In fact, I like them. They are good, solid foundations for fantasy storytelling. They've just become a little stale nowadays, and they need to be treated with a bit more sophistication and finesse than they used to. This is, in my opinion, a much better way of dealing with clichés than just throwing them away and making inherently hopeless attempts at writing fantasy in a vacuum. We are all children of Tolkien, who was himself a child of the ancient Germanic mythmakers. There is nothing wrong with that. We don't need to disown our parents in order to avoid flat-out copying them. And that concludes what I have to say about the writing thing. Now, there is a third part to my article, which is called Narration, and that is specifically about storytelling in audio. You know, and you know what? I'll just do that one right away as well. About Narration. This topic seems to be the most contentious one within the audio drama community. Many contributors to the world of contemporary audio storytelling have strong opinions about having a narrator in the story or not. So why is this such an important question? At its heart, I think the discussion surrounding narration is about the clear distinction between audio drama 
and audio books. Creators of audio drama want to make it very clear that their work is nothing like those dry audio books. Since audio drama is such a niche product, this is understandable. It's very obvious that most ordinary people don't even know that there is a difference between the two media. To an audio drama producer, this can be very frustrating because they know there is a huge difference, and of course they're right. I think, on a subconscious level, most audio drama makers are afraid that the average person will stumble upon a dry audio book on Audible, listen to it, and decide that this audio stuff is far too boring and not for them. Consequently, this person will never try out audio drama. Again, I think that this fear is not unwarranted. People often really are that quick to judge. On the other hand, there is also the opposite scenario. A listener enjoys a good audiobook, goes looking for more, and stumbles upon a richly cinematic, modern audio drama production like We're Alive, for example, and hates it. This opposite scenario usually doesn't enter the mind of the audio drama enthusiast, because he has a strong bias in favor of the more theatrical approach. To him or her, audio drama is simply a superior alternative to audiobooks. Therefore, it's impossible that anyone who enjoys audiobooks will dislike audio drama. I can imagine someone having this reaction, though. Audiobooks do have certain positive qualities that audio drama lacks. That doesn't necessarily mean that I prefer audiobooks, but that I can see reasons for either preference. Personally, I can enjoy both mediums, but I also have problems with both of them. It's these problems that I'd like to address in this article, as well as explain my solution. I put that last work between quotation marks because. I'm well aware that to some people, my solution will not actually be experienced as such. If you really love what I call the dry audiobook, or on the other end of the spectrum, the audio movie, then you may not like my approach. On the other hand, if you love audio but you experience the same issues that I do, then you may like what I propose. First, the dry audiobook. Ever since Audible. This medium has become massively popular. It is, in fact, much more popular than audio drama is. For that reason alone, it cannot simply be discarded as inferior. Many audio drama enthusiasts feel that fans of audiobooks simply haven't discovered audio drama yet, and will cite that as the sole reason why dry audiobooks are still more popular. I personally don't think so. I think that audio books really do have a wider appeal. When I use the term "dry audio book," I mean a novel that's simply read by one voice. This is what the vast majority of audio books are like. Even within this simply defined medium, there are still many different approaches. Some dry audio books are read by very neutral narrators. They do this with the intent of. Getting out of the picture, so that it's really the author's words that draw the listener's attention, and not the performance of the narrator. Other audio books go for a very lively performance, where the narrator goes out of his way to use different voice qualities and accents to portray various characters. 
David Tennant's performance for the excellent How to Train Your Dragon series is a particularly exciting example of this. Of course, How to Train Your Dragon is a series of children's books full of comical characters where exaggerated performances are entirely appropriate. More serious epic fantasy like The Wheel of Time wouldn't ever work if it were performed in this way. Among audiobook fans, the man who voices Robert Jordan's enormous series, The Wheel of Time, is held in very high regard. His name is Michael Kramer, and he has become somewhat of a staple of epic fantasy audiobooks, having narrated most of Brandon Sanderson's work as well, and also newer series such as Circle of Rain and the Lycanius trilogy. Kramer's performance is soulful but reserved at the same time. He is an excellent narrator with a very recognizable voice. He seems to find a third way between heavily performing, like what David Tennant does, and doing a Stephen Hawking impression, which I think only a minority of audiobook lovers would enjoy. To some, the dry audiobook is the ideal way of experiencing a novel. More than an audio drama, an audiobook is a book. It's every word the author wrote. Many audiobooks are performed by the authors themselves, which is an even bigger plus, at least if the author has a pleasant voice and is capable of performing his own work well. Much as I love Brandon Sanderson's writing, for example, I wouldn't want to sit through his massive epics performed in his nasal high-pitched American twang. Audiobooks have a wonderful intimacy to them. You feel invited into the story. They speak to us, not just literally, but also on some subconscious level, bringing us back to the oldest form of storytelling, round the campfire. Still, as wonderful as performances like Kramer's and Tennant's are, dry audiobooks always remain kind of, well, dry. Listening to a single voice for hours and hours can become a chore, no matter how pleasant that voice is. In fact, voices that are easy on the ears tend to be soft and smooth, and as a result, they can lull people to sleep. It's also easy to get distracted when you've been listening to a single voice for many hours on end. Then the audio movie. On the complete opposite end of the spectrum, we have what I call the audio movie. This is audio drama at its most dramatic the creators of these shows eschew narration, opting instead to bring the story to life entirely through acting, sound effects and music. Popular online series such as Edict Zero and We're Alive are great examples of this, as well as Lock and Key, which was released on Audible and features music by our own Peter van Riet. Another great example is Tim Knopfler's wonderful, pulpy World War II epic, The Adventures of Captain Hudson, my personal favorite in this genre. Audio movies go for the immediate experience. Everything in the story is happening right now, and we as the listener are right there in the thick of it with the characters. When done well, it can be an immersive experience that appeals very strongly to the imagination as well as our thirst for spectacle. Because there is no image, the listener's experience of the audio is enhanced and their imagination is kicked into high gear. That in itself is, of course, wonderful. In the audio drama circles that I visit, this approach to audio storytelling is much preferred over narration. In fact, 
I think there is almost an atmosphere of phobia when it comes to narration. I notice that a lot of audio drama makers in this area go out of their way to avoid using a narrator whenever possible. I think they see narration as a kind of cop-out, and direct audio theatre as vastly superior. Personally, I'm inclined to disagree. Don't get me wrong, there is a lot to love about audio movies, but just like dry audiobooks, they have certain built-in flaws. When they have a unity of time and place, audio movies can do their work very well and convey the atmosphere brilliantly. Oral Stage's Intensive Care is a great example of this. The entire story takes place in a very creepy hospital, and the production really makes you feel like you're there. By the end, you're relieved to escape from that hellish place and ready to welcome reality once more. On the other hand, when trying to tell a story that takes place in a number of different locations, audio cinema becomes a lot harder to pull off satisfactorily. NPR's Star Wars adaptations are often cited as the proof that it can be done, but they don't really count because they build on the experience of the movies. I don't think anyone who has never heard of the Star Wars films has ever listened to those audio dramas, if people who have never heard of Star Wars even exist. As a result, these adaptations can get away with not describing what Darth Vader or the Death Star looks like, because the audience already knows. The audio dramas are a wonderful extended edition of the movies, but they do not stand on their own as pure audio. In my view, the directness of audio movies leads to either of two problems. 1. Confusion. 2. Auto-narration. First, allow me to explain what I mean by confusion. When nobody describes what's happening in a scene, it can be very difficult to have any idea of what's going on. When this happens, when I don't know what's going on, I lose interest. Even when the sound design is sublime and the music is great, a big exciting scene falls completely flat when I don't know what's going on. This is a very big problem with audio movies for me. During normal dialogue scenes it flows very well, but as soon as the monster's attack or the car chase begins, I feel like I'm blindly stumbling through the story. Someone may have died during that action scene, but I'm only aware of it ten minutes later. People differ, but for me, this is the worst that can happen in an audio story. I vastly prefer the dryness of an audiobook over this confusion. To avoid this pitfall, audio movies often go for an approach that I call auto-narration. This is when the characters themselves describe what they're seeing or doing. That can feel very forced and unrealistic and can lead to dialogues like this. Look, it's a monster. Yes, I see. It seems to be rather pale and it has long fangs. Indeed, we should probably run. Now, there are ways to work around this and make the audio narration sound a bit more natural, but it's very hard to avoid awful dialogue like this when dealing with audio movies. So auto-narration is a problem for me, a big one. Another issue I sometimes have with audio movies is a bit more subjective. But while they can be exciting, they can also be a bit exhausting. Even when they manage to avoid both confusion and auto-narration, 
following a story purely by listening in while the characters talk and act can be a fairly taxing activity. While I appreciate the often scrumptious sound design and varied voice performances, listening to this kind of production demands more of me and often leaves me a bit fatigued, whereas a dry audiobook is a more relaxing experience. The Dramatized Audiobook So I have presented the advantages and problems particular to dry audiobooks and audio movies. Of course, there is a lot in between. My favourite audio dramas are BBC's The Lord of the Rings and Wizard of Earthsea and focus on the families The Chronicles of Narnia. Of course, the source material plays its role, why I love these audio dramas so much, but I also really appreciate them as examples of their medium. All of these productions succeed in bringing characters to life through voice acting and placing listeners in an environment through sound and music. At the same time, their storytelling is very clear and pleasant. The typical approach these stories take is one where scenes simply play out between actors and sound effects just like in an audio movie, but then a narrator is introduced to connect different scenes to each other and to describe new elements that are introduced. The creators of these stories do their best to use narration to frame scenes and not allow it to interrupt the flow of the ongoing story. This is the approach I used when I wrote The Will of the Woods as well. I see no real big problems with this approach, except that it can still suffer from the pitfalls of the audio movie without the bonus of having one continuous direct experience. On the whole, though, I think it's a good approach. Recently, I have also discovered graphic audio. Now, when you go to their website, please ignore the horrible artwork they have for their productions. This is an amazing company that does spectacular sound design and uses that quality to bring audiobooks to life. Different characters are performed by different actors, but what you're hearing is still very much an audiobook, using a narrator as the main voice throughout the story. When I discovered this approach, I fell in love with it. I adopted it myself, or something very much like it, for Witch Hunter, and I called it Dramatized Audiobook. It's a lively experience, full of exciting things to listen to, but it's also carried by the narrator. You see, there are certain things only a narrator can do, like introducing background elements from fantasy lore without it being jarring. Representing the inner thoughts and feelings of a particular character, that also can only be done fluently, at least, in either a novel or an audiobook. I know that pure audio movies have experimented with this by using an acoustic effect to differentiate between a character's spoken words and the character's thoughts, but in my opinion that works well in comedy but nowhere else. And finally, I simply love narrators. Like I described earlier, there is nothing quite like being told a story the way humans have done for thousands of years. In my opinion, the dramatized audiobook is the solution to the problems of the dry audiobook and the audio movie. Of course, I realize this is an entirely subjective opinion. If you prefer your audiobooks to be more intimate without pointless noise in the background, I completely understand. If you prefer your audio drama to be one fluent, direct experience, immersing you right in the thick of it, I can appreciate that as well. It's just that, for me, the dramatized audiobook fixes what I dislike about the other categories of audio storytelling. 
And yes, it will probably be the way Audio Epics goes forward from now on. So, these were my articles about, um, you know, the audio epics approach. I hope you enjoyed them. When we return next time, um, you know, I hope to come back with a an actual story to tell again. Um, I think I, I'll try to read uh, something from the public domain. Um, we'll see. We'll see. As you can hear, um, we do finally have our studio in place. Um... Because when we when we we were releasing the uh, Will of the Woods, uh, you probably heard that um, you know I was in a, in an empty room and not in an actual you know recording place. But um, yeah, we've uh, we've finally come up with something now. Um, we bought a walk-in closet and then uh, fixed a lot of material on the inside, um, you know, soft material to sort of. Uh, absorb the sound and um, this is the result um, I hope it sounds good and um, I hope that I can present you something good uh, in terms of storytelling next time on the Audio Epics Podcast in the meantime I bid you all a very fond adieu